How many just know that verse? You didn't have to raise your hand. Don't, don't admit that. Um, the Lord is my shepherd, I shall not want. This is a, a beautiful, beautiful, comforting psalm. But there's so much, so much beauty and truth inside this psalm. And as I started studying it and going over it, I was sitting with the wife and I had only gotten to verse 2. And I was probably about 13 notes deep already. 13 pages of notes deep on verse 2. And yes, we will get through this psalm today. I promise. But before we get into it, I want to read it. And then I want to go back and go over it. So we're going to read it. This Psalms 23, starting in verse 1. It says, a psalm of David. The Lord is my shepherd, I shall not want. He makes me lie down in green pastures. He leads me beside still waters. He restores my soul. He leads me in paths of righteousness for his name's sake. Even though I walk through the valley of the shadow of death, I will fear no evil. For you are with me. Your rod and your staff, they comfort me. You prepare a table before me in the presence of my enemies. You anoint my head with oil, my cup overflows. Surely goodness and mercy shall follow me all the days of my life, and I shall dwell in the house of the Lord forever. Awesome. Just awesome. If I were to ask you to describe your relationship with God, I'm kind of curious, uh, not that I want you to speak it out, but I'm, I'm kind of curious what kind of words you would use to describe your relationship. Uh, because that's exactly what David is doing in this psalm. That is exactly what he's doing. He's, uh, he is describing and using metaphors to describe his relationship with God. And not surprisingly, he uses the one as a shepherd. Um, I say not surprisingly because most of us know that's what David did. He was a shepherd. So this metaphor for him would be very close to home. It would be very, everything he would say would be very understood by anyone who did this. Um, so he knew this kind of dramatic relationship between a shepherd and a sheep. He understood this. It is what he did. Um, I've never, I've never, I'll be honest, I've never shepherded real four-legged sheep. Never in my life. I mean, only two legs. Two-legged sheep. And uh, chickens, and I've never, I've never shepherded a four-legged sheep before. But the first, <laughs> I've heard there's a lot of similarities. I've heard that between the two-legged sheep and the four-legged sheep, I've heard, I've heard there's a lot of similarities. Um, we won't talk about that today. But the very first thing you notice about what David says related to his opening statement is notice he says this is personal. He opens up and he says, "The Lord is my shepherd." I love that. He starts off, this is personal. It's the Lord is my shepherd. Now that's important because he could have made some doctrinal statement, right? When he was writing this, David could have said something like, the Lord is a shepherd. That would be truthful. That would be true. Maybe more like a doctrine. Or he could have made it, you know, like uh, more emphatic. The Lord is the shepherd. But he didn't. He started this and made it very personal. He said, the Lord is my shepherd. I love that. He made it intimate. He made, the Lord is my shepherd. He, in the very opening line, he describes his relationship as intimate. Very intimate with the Lord. And because that's one of the most powerful aspects of the God that we serve. Is that we can, 
is the fact that he's personal and we can have a personal relationship with him. It's, I think in Christianity, I think we've thrown that term around a lot. Relationship. Personal relationship. I think we've, all, we've almost kind of redefined what that really means. Um, think about it. We use it to describe a Christian who's come to faith, right? Do you have a personal relationship with Jesus Christ? And when we say that, not that it's a bad thing, but when we say that, we're actually just referring to, have you been saved? Is that all we do? That's the first thing that comes to our mind. And we ask them all the time, do you have a personal relationship with Jesus Christ? And we throw that word around, but I think we've taken away the importance of what David is referring to when he talks about a personal relationship. See, and I think it's, I think it's true that, I mean, I think all of us can relate to it, that we've been through periods in our life. We've been through periods in our life where we have become distant with our relationship to God. I mean, would you agree? We've all been through those periods. I'll admit, I've been through those periods. I've been through those periods in my life where my relationships become distant. Thank you. Um, I mean, think about it. We know his salvation, right? All of us do. We know his salvation. We, we definitely, we look for that. We, we know that we know that we know that that if I was to die today, guess what? I know I'm going to heaven, right? We all know that. We agree? Every one of us, every one of us know that. And but as far as intimacy, the, the, the connectedness is what I'm looking at, of a real genuine relationship can be very lacking sometimes with us. Do you agree? Have you ever felt that that that's that, that, like a distance, that, that like separation, like I just I feel like I'm far from God. And I'll admit, there's, I've had times in my life where I, I've felt that. I've been like, I just, I don't know what it is. I can't put my finger on it, right? I'm like, I, I feel, I know, he, I know I'm his. I know I'm his child, but I just, I don't feel it. From time to time, I mean, we, we all know what that's about. We've all felt that. And this is one of the most important things here. David makes a statement right at the start. To let you know, he says, the Lord is my shepherd. And what he's doing is making that connection right here. That, that I, he is a child of God. And I have a personal, intimate connection to my father. It's not just that do you have a relationship with Jesus. It's an intimate, David is laying out that I have this connection to my father that I have with no one else. It goes beyond anything that we can imagine or he could imagine. The, the highest thing he was thinking of was his relationship with God. And think of all the personal relationships that we have in our lives. And certainly in the context of our families. I, I like to say this. We can certainly have a DNA connection with somebody, right? In our family. Somebody knows where I'm going with this. I mean, we can have the genes. We look at each other like, yeah, they look like from the same family. And we can definitely have that connection, but we can be lacking a very intimate, personal relationship with that person. I mean, we, we've all experienced that. And it, you know, just because I share DNA doesn't automatically mean that the next logical step is I have this personal relationship with you. And I think... 
Think of a father and a son. And I'm going to use this for an example. A father and a son. There's a connection there, right? There's a connection. But there could be, it could be a very definite biological connection. I talk father and sons all the time because they always seem to look alike. You can always look at some father and son. I know who you belong to. And there's always definitely this biological connection. But it doesn't mean there's a personal connection. Not always. And that's a, that's a sad fact. And it doesn't always mean that you're going to have a relationship that way. And here's what I like. And even, even if one of those people in that setup want a relationship, want that personal relationship, if the other person doesn't want that, it doesn't happen. It doesn't happen. There's not a whole lot you can do about it, and it's going to be distant. It's going to be distant. The same is true with our relationship with Jesus. It's exactly the same thing. It, he is the one that wants that personal, intimate relationship with us. He wants it. He said it. But if we're the ones pulling back, or if we're the ones being distant, guess what? It's going to be distant. That, that intimate relationship is going to be distant. Because one person in that relationship wants that connection, but somebody else is pulling back. That's the context here of what David's getting into. That's why this psalm is so, so beautiful, so awesome. And so that's why we turn to it for so much comfort, because when we read it, we realize, even if we don't mouth the words, we feel that intimacy with God when we read that. And I think David felt that here. I think that's what he felt because, you know, it's sad in our human relationships, even our relationships with God. All of that distance is sad, but, you know, it, it's a great comfort to know that God is, I'm going to try to say this, to know that God is knowable. You know what I mean? It's, it's a comfort to know that he's knowable. That the second thing in this is He's knowable, and, and he desires to walk closely with you. It's, do you understand the intimacy that David's opening up here? See, I think sometimes we, I like this, we like to have God on a shelf, I think, sometimes. And he's always there. Picture him as a picture on our shelf. It's always there, and he's always watching. And he's always looking at us, and every now and then we'll dust him off, and we'll look at him. Especially when something's going wrong, then we'll pull the picture down. And we'll hold it and we'll shed some tears on it, right? But as soon as things are better, I'll put my picture back on the shelf. David is saying to you, you're missing the most, you're missing the mark. You're missing the most important thing, that personal, intimate relationship with God. And that's where he's going to get into this psalm. That's where the comfort comes from. And it's, this is a beautiful, beautiful psalm and beautiful comfort is inside here. But I think sometimes we read it, and uh, like I said, we like this first, but we forget everything in between. Think about it for a minute, loved ones. You can personally know him. Personal. I mean, as personal as knowing the person that's sitting beside you. You can know him. God can be personally known. So David's telling us to go to the line. The Lord is my shepherd. He's my shepherd. What is truthfully sad is that for many of us, 
that kind of relationship with him is wacky. It is wacky. And from what we see in scripture, David took great comfort in that connection. He did. David was right there, deep in that personal relationship. He was connected with his God. He was connected with him. No matter what was going on, no matter what it looked like out there, whatever was going on in David's life, he took comfort that he was connected to his shepherd. He was very honest. He was very genuine. David, if you read through the Psalms, he's very genuine. He didn't hide it. There was no pretending in David's writing. He wasn't like, my God's on my, I got a picture of my God on my shelf. He was like, he's right here standing beside me. And I take comfort in that. And you'll see why. I mean, in the fact, the whole idea of knowing the Lord is the hallmark of what makes a believer, right? The whole idea of knowing the Lord is what makes us a believer. And the opposite is the whole idea of not knowing the Lord is what makes you an unbeliever, right? Look at, uh, let's go down through, I want to show you a passage in Jeremiah. You don't have to turn to it, but I'll read it to you. We're going to use this passage because it, it emphasizes what David's talking about here. In Jeremiah it says, but let him who boasts, boast in this. That he understands and knows me. That I am the Lord who practices steadfast love, justice, and righteousness on the earth. For in these things I delight. But let him who boasts, boast in this. That he knows me. It's saying to you what God is most concerned about. To us and him, when it has to do with that relationship, is that he wants us to have that personal, intimate knowledge of him. To know the Lord. Without raising your hands, I want you to sit today. And do you know, and I don't mean, yes, I know I'm saved. Yes, I know I'm going to heaven. Yes, I know he's my God. Yes, I know I read the scripture. Do you know him? How many of you talk, driving your car and just talk to him? Just talk. I, I, I figured that. I do too. Just driving along and you just have a conversation with them. And I hear people say, well, I, I don't really, I don't have a lot of time. I'm like, well, you can drive with a friend in your car and from here to Pittsburgh and you guys can talk for the whole time going through there without missing a beat and carrying on a whole conversation about nothing. But yet, do you talk with God like that? This is what he's talking about. This is that kind of intimate relationship. He, he just, what David did. David didn't have some beautiful, perfect prayer that he was laid out. David laid out what was on his heart. Sometimes it wasn't so nice, was it, in the Psalms? But he laid it out because he knew he had an intimate relationship with his father. God's most concerned with us knowing him. That's what he's concerned with. That's his whole concern, is us knowing him. In the same way, do you remember in the New Testament? Um, the words of Jesus. He said, remember, he said something about this. For those who were gathered on his left on the day of judgment, what's going to happen to them? He said, well, we turned away, right? What, why would he, what he, what's, how, did he, how did he say when he said, I will turn you away? There was a certain line that he said. What was that? Correct. He turned them away, and it says, I never knew you. That word knew there is the same context of what we're talking about. 
He's saying, I never knew you. In other words, we didn't have, and in that case, it is talking about some eternal relationships too, but they didn't have that personal, that intimate, they didn't have that eternal connection with God. So again, we come back to the idea of how important it is to know the Lord. It, it, this whole psalm is about that. Everything he talks about, our God can be known. You got that? Our God can be known. He can be known in personal, joyful relationship. And I truly believe that that really does cause joy. I do believe that. I, you couldn't convince me otherwise. I've experienced the joy of knowing the Lord. Even in times it shouldn't have been joyful, when it looked terrible, knowing the Lord, I was joyful. You ever had, we talk about that here all the time. Somebody comes up to you and like, you should not be happy right now. You shouldn't be. You should not be. Look, let me share my, my own anxiety with you because you should not be this happy. And you're like, I know the Lord. And they don't understand that. It's the idea. Remember, there was a guy named Paul in Scripture. I don't know if you ever read about him. But um, he, was, he was like in this prison cell. He was like right in the middle. And for you guys to understand what I'm talking about, that center prison, there was no windows. There was no light. There was no, it was a big, square, hard, dark, wet Rats running everywhere, nasty. They would give you some bread every now and then if you were lucky. And Paul would, did Paul sit there and go, man, I don't know how I'm getting out of this. This is terrible. What did he do? He praised and danced. Praised and danced. Why? Because he knew the Lord. He had this re personal relationship with the Lord. Hmm. That's awesome. It is. It's awesome. Beautiful, wonderful, personal aspect of knowing the Lord. That's what this psalm is about. I, I, I will say this. I was, I've been guilty of this for, for most of us. Our personal time with the Lord is usually brief. It is. If, if we would admit it to ourselves, it's usually brief. And, and we often limit it to only those times when we're really facing a crisis. We do. We'll, we'll you know, during the week, we'll, we'll, every now and then, we'll, we'll Doing well. Okay, thanks. But when something goes on, what are we doing? We're on our face, we're crying, we're screaming out to them. There's nothing wrong with that. But what I'm saying is, if that's the only time you get to know the Lord, you're missing out on a lot of stuff. You need to get down and get ready to have that personal relationship. That's what David's, that's what David's talking about. But but I like to say this, when things are going great when we're running on cruise control, right? When we're doing good, we're cruising right along, and we're just having a good old time, and things are good. I think that's when that distance starts to happen. I think that's where that intimate relationship distance starts to happen. Because we're good, right? I'm good. I don't need anybody. Yeah, I love God. He's there. I'll, I'll talk to him later. I got a lot of work to do. Cruising right along. That's what I think we really look back at our life, that's where that that's where that separation starts. And when I say separation, I am not talking about loss of salvation. Once saved, always saved. Going to heaven. You, if you came to the cross and you gave your life to Jesus and he forgave you of your sins, you're eternally going to heaven. But you can sever that relationship 
like I use a father. A father is always a father, but that relationship can be severed. And that's what, I think that's what David was trying to get us to say. That the truth remains that God wants us to know him. The same guy, Paul, I don't know if you read about him. And, and uh, Philippians said this. I want to know Christ. This is, I, this is my favorite verse, and you'll never see this verse on a coffee cup. I want to know Christ and the power of his resurrection and the fellowship of his sufferings being conformed to him in his death. I promise you, you will not see that on a coffee cup. Not going to happen. But we hear this from a man who knew the Lord. Paul wrote this. I believe so much more. Remember, in 2 Corinthians, he was taken up to another part of heaven. Remember that? And, and he heard things there that were unlawful to speak to man. I, would, I, I just can imagine the things that he's seen and was shown to him. And the knowledge and revelation that was given to Paul by the Holy Spirit. Ooh, apart from him, remember, it was apart from any human interaction. What the Holy Spirit revealed to him. This is this is the cry of Paul's heart. That verse right there. I want to know Christ and the power of his resurrection and the fellowship of his suffering. How many of us walk around and say, I want to know my God, I want a fellowship with his suffering? Nobody. <clears throat> you don't wake up in the morning and say, Lord, I'm here, let me suffer. Don't. But Paul's heart here, that's what he's saying. He says, I want to know my Lord so intimately that I even want to know him in my suffering, in the sufferings. And that's, I think, if we turn ourselves around, is he Paul says, I want to know Christ, but it wasn't enough. He didn't, it wasn't enough for him. He wanted more. He wanted a deeper, intimate relationship with God. That's why he said, I want to know him in the sufferings. We should put that, I, we can make a coffee cup and put, I want to know him in the suffering. And we can carry that with us. Because you know what? If you, if you want an intimate relationship, when it's good, maintain it. When it's bad, comfort it. Paul wasn't ready to sit back and we shouldn't be either. We should not, especially today. How many anxious, how many, how many people wake up and they're just anxious and fearful and they start their day that way? Anxious. Fearful. And then as they go through the week, they realize by the end of the week, wait, 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 I, I haven't even talked to God this week. And they're like, oh, I'll get to it. And then they go the next week and feeding all this stuff into them. And they're like, I haven't talked to God yet. Well, he's got me, right? He's my, he's my shepherd. He's got me. But by the end of the few more weeks, that distance has become so great that that comfort, that peace that we search for, it's not there. And then we like to change it around and start blaming other things. But Paul says, I want to know Christ. I want to know him. That's, what we should, that's how we should be. Every morning. I want to know him. Let's move on. I could talk about it for hours. Um, next, David makes a statement here about God's ability to be a good shepherd. His ability to be a good shepherd when he says, I shall not Let's talk about that one first real quick. This is, I shall not want, meaning he's going to give me a Lamborghini, or meaning he's going to give me all the money in the world, or meaning he's going to give me this brand new house, or meaning, you know, 
I'm really looking for this really gorgeous wife who's going to give her to me. That's not what the want there is talking about. In our minds, in our human minds, sometimes the word want is like, yeah, I know what I want, right? We all want something. But it's a deeper level here. And I have to admit that sometimes this part, when I was a young Christian, this part used to throw me off a little bit. Um, it kind of made no sense. And I'll tell you why. Think about it. The Lord is my shepherd, I shall not want. Kind of sounds like the Lord is my shepherd, but I don't want it. And I thought about that. I used to write about it all the time. And that's how I think our brain sometimes interprets it. Well, we don't physically say that. The Lord is my shepherd, I shall not want. Why I say the Lord is my shepherd, but I don't want him? The Lord is my shepherd, and I shall not want. As long as he's given me stuff, I want him. But if I ain't getting stuff, I don't want him, right? I think we interpret that sometimes. We don't say it, but that's how we interpret it in our heads. We're like, you know, God, I've served you all this time. I've done all these good things. Why don't I have what they have? Why aren't you giving me this? I want this. That's what I want, but you ain't giving it to me. So we take the Lord as my shepherd, but I don't want it. I think sometimes. But to really lay hold of it, I, I, I like it better to say this. The Lord is my shepherd, and therefore all my needs are met. I like that better. The Lord is my shepherd, and therefore all my needs are met. There, needs. Needs, not wants, right? Needs. We don't need a Lamborghini. But the Lord knows you need transportation. I don't need a big million dollar house. But the Lord has promised that he will shelter and protect me. Needs. Needs. That's what David is saying here. And I, I'm not as poetic as David, but I think that little verse, what I said, what I lack in poetry, I think it's pretty accurate. But uh, so we learn from verse one that God can be known personally, that he is ready and willing to meet our needs on a personal level. And we just in those beginning verse, we have learned so much in that psalm. Jesus, our shepherd, cares for his sheep. Now, I know, we'll talk about that in a minute, but I know we don't really grasp the shepherd sheep thing. Okay, how many here are sheep farmers? That's what I thought. <laughs> we don't really grasp that. Shepherd sheep. We say we do, but we don't. Because none of us, none of us farm sheep. I mean, I kind of do. Two-legged kind. With ghosts. But... So David's going to carry, in verse 2, he's going to carry that metaphor of that shepherd. He's going to carry it a little farther. In verse 2, he says this. This is, this is so great. He makes me lie down in green pastures. He leads me beside still waters. This, this speaks of the Lord's ability to calm David's nerves. Just put it in our words. This is the Lord's ability to calm David's nerves, to calm him down. To calm, to calm his heart when it's skipping beats because something's going on. He maketh me lie down in green pastures. He leads me beside still waters. Everything in the context of that verse is peace. Is peace. It's like I said, it's to calm the nerves. The Lord's ability to calm your nerves. Sometimes I think we think we can calm our own nerves. But like I said, I've never, you know, I've never raised sheep. But I, from what I've read, I understand that there were, uh, there's, I understand they're very skittish animals, right? When they get scared, 
Or if they see something, they think they think's a threat. I think they're pretty skittish. From what I've read, it's like they it's like from the standpoint of if they get spooked, it's over for them. I mean, they just go wild. Their brain runs wild. They run all over the place. By the way, that does apply. <laughs> when it comes to sheep, that applies. So here's what I understand. When sheep are on the edge, and they feel like something's about to happen, or they, they have this sense that something's going wrong, they will not settle down. They won't rest. They will not lay down to rest. A sheep will create so much anxiety inside its body that it can no longer rest. They will become agitated, and they will just be completely restless. Yeah, that applies. But, um, so what's the job of the shepherd? It's to communicate to them, right? And to tell them that everything is okay. That's what the shepherd does. He tells the sheep, I know you're anxious. I know things are going on. I know your mind's going a million miles an hour. But as a shepherd, I come to you and it's okay. It's okay. Calms those nerves. And David says, that, David says here, that's what the Lord does for him. That's what the Lord does for him. And I'm sure you all agree, that's no small thing. How many people have been upset been anxious, been frustrated, been scared to the point where you can't sleep at night. I have. Absolutely, I have. To the point where I can't even close my eyes and rest because guess what? Our minds, boy, they love to run ragged when we're in the middle of something, don't they? And I think our minds sometimes even make us more anxious because our minds instantly go to the worst case scenario every single time. It doesn't find the, the best scenario. Our minds go right to the worst case. And we become upset, anxious, can't sleep, can't eat. Or the opposite, we overeat. Anything we can to try to calm our nerves. But David's trying to teach us right here, right here about our shepherd, what he's trying to teach us. He is telling you, your shepherd can calm those fears. He can calm them. Peace. What did Jesus say? He left us some of that? Did he say, my peace I give to you? Yeah, I thought so. Matter of fact, I'm going to read that from John 14. Peace I leave with you. He says, my peace I give to you. Not as the world doth gives it to you. Let not your hearts be troubled. Neither let them be afraid. That's exactly what David was talking about. That is exactly what David was talking about. I have talked to people not too long ago, recently, who are in such dire, terrible situations. And they come to me, and they're like, I, I want to talk, you minister, you know, I saw, I've got this going on. And I sit down with them, and they minister to me. Because they have so much peace, I'm always like, it's unexplainable. It is unexplainable. And they're coming to me for me to encourage them, and you know, they're encouraging me watching that. I mean... In our world, in our eyes, their circumstance would suggest you should be in an uproar. Just by what I'm looking at, you should be so so anxious and so tied up in knots that, but yet you're calm, you're peaceful, because of what David was saying here. And Jesus in this particular passage says, I give you peace, but he said, 
not as the world gives you peace. Here's why. How does the world give us peace? It gives it to us based on circumstance. Think about it. If circumstances are good that we see with our eyes in the world, we have peace. False peace, but we have peace. When things are going well, when the money's coming in, the job's doing great, and kids are doing great, and all the bills are paid, and I got extra money, and I went to games, and everything's going well. <laughs> we have this peace. That's the world's peace. Because the minute that changes in our view, in our circumstance, that peace is gone in an instant. Jesus says, that's not the peace I'm giving to you. I'm leaving you my peace. The peace that David's talking about here. Peace that I can finally rest. The world is circumstantial peace. But we like that peace sometimes. So Jesus gives us a kind of peace that's not connected. Here's what I like. It's not connected to any circumstance in our life. The peace that he gives us has nothing to do with our circumstances. Not at all. It has nothing to do with it. And it's, it's just peace. And I tried, I've tried to come up with a million ways to describe it. And I can't. The easiest way, it's just peace. Unexplainable peace. How many, have, how many have met somebody like that? You don't have to hand up, but think about it. How many have met? You just run into somebody that we talk, and, and, and they minister to you because you're like, they have that peace. I know a few people right now who have that. Hmm. And it's, it's amazing. I, you know what? I hope you, loved ones, I hope you, you've actually experienced that. I really do. I hope you've actually experienced that peace. Because there's times in my life, sometimes my wife had to you know, kick me a few times, but to remind me, hey, I want a personal, intimate relationship with you. I know this is going on. Give it to your father. And I've experienced that peace. Sometimes it takes some nudging. That's the job of a shepherd. Interesting about being anxious and being fearful and I think we can all relate to that on different levels, being anxious, being fearful. It's such a normal response for you and I, isn't it? It's like we're on autopilot. It's, it, it's, that's what happens. We know, that's how we respond. I mean, to become anxious or nervous whenever something happens that we have no control over, that's how we respond. We're, that's our natural response. I don't have any control over it, let me get anxious about it. But, when we really take the time to consider this, see, in the midst of all that, when we respond that way, we don't actually take time to consider that that response is wrong. We don't. We don't take time to think about that. We get so wrapped up in being anxious that we don't stop to think, well, wait a minute, wait, that's not, that's wrong. That's not the right response. I just, have you ever, anybody ever tell you that? That's just me. That's how I do things. That's how I respond. It's just me. It's like, it's, they're like describing their eye color or something. You know, things go bad, I get anxious, that's me. That, it, that's wrong. That's, that's, that's a wrong response. So, but it becomes normal to the point where they never stop and even try to realize that that's not a good, that's not the right response. They don't even stop. They just, it's just, there might be people in here right now that do that. But I, <laughs> uh, 
But I want to tell you something, what this psalm had completely changed in me. It's something as I was studying the word said to me. That my fearful attitude is actually missing the mark. It's actually missing the mark. And you want to know what? What's the definition of sin, actually? Missing the mark. In other words, the Lord, through this psalm, revealed to me that my fearful attitude was actually a sin. It's actually a sin. Isn't that crazy? We don't think of that, do we? Now, there's a lot of people, there's a lot of people who cringe when I say that. They're like, yeah, whatever. My fearful attitude is sin. Whatever. I cringe. Because our normal reaction is that. It's just a normal reaction we have. To them, it's normal. It's the, it's, it's the way they are. Here's more that I personally wrote down from this. Not only was my fear of sin, but that I could do something about it in this scripture. What I mean by that is I could confess it and bring it to the cross, right? I can confess that sin and bring it to the cross and find forgiveness, and then I'm able to take that next step again, which is to lay my trust back in God. And I, I looked at it from this standpoint because I've never looked at fear that way. It never dawned on me that, that fear is actually missing the mark. And missing the mark is the definition of a sin. So if I learn to look at my fear as a sin and I realize David's saying there's something you can do about it, it changes the whole dynamics of fear. You can find forgiveness and take that next step. What I like is we can, then we can say what David said. The Lord is my shepherd. He's my shepherd. It's just, and I'm, and I'm going to trust him. That's what I'm going to do. I'm going to trust him. So many times we get into a state of fear and anxiety and we want to go to the Lord and we want to find his peace. We do. That's what all of us want. We all want to go to the Lord and find his peace. We do. But we haven't dealt with the fact that our fearful attitude has actually missed the mark. We haven't dealt with that as it relates to sin. Think about it. We haven't brought that to the cross. How many people actually do that? When they get in the situation and they're anxious, they're like, and instead of looking at it, look at it as a sin and bring it to the cross and then rest in that peace. Wow. We don't bring it to the cross. We don't want to look at it that it's a sin. Because, you know, we have this idea in our head that, oh, sin is like here are some things that you do that are just sin. No. What does sin do to our relationship with God? I'll tell you ever so gently, sin still separates us from God. Not eternally. Not as the idea of going to heaven. But absolutely sin will separate you. And that's what David is talking about, that severed relationship. I don't want... Let me use a real world example. Husband and wife. It's an eternal bond, right? You guys love each other. You live intimate, you have an intimate personal relationship together. But what happens if somebody does something wrong in that relationship and they don't come to you about it or confess about it or talk to you about it and they just move on their life? How intimate is that relationship now? It's pretty severed, doesn't it? Uh, it does. You're still there. 
You're still husband and wife. That's not going to ever change. But it's not the same. There's something missing. That's, what, that's the idea of what David's talking about. That fear that we have is missing the mark, and it's separating us from God. Think about it. I don't... And you know what? That's why God brings conviction to our hearts. This is exactly why he brings conviction to our hearts, because he wants you to deal with it and get rid of that stuff that's separating your relationship. That's what he wants. That's why we're convicted, because he says, get rid of this. It's blocking me. It's stopping you from knowing me. There's times in my, even my own life where I've forgotten to come to the Lord and say, Lord, I'm sorry. I've forgotten to. You know, Jesus told us to do that regularly. He did. In the Lord's Prayer. Remember, anybody remember that? Forgive us of our sins as we forgive. Anybody remember that prayer? He's told us to do that regularly. Not as a salvation prayer, like I've got to come get saved every week because I sin. But the reason he tells us to do it is because we have things that block our relationship with God. And he says, get it out of the way so you can know me. Not know me like, hi, I'm Jesus, but know me. That's what this whole thing is about. Knowing Jesus. And I haven't even got through, what, verse 2 yet? I could preach on this one psalm probably for four weeks. I'm not going to. Yeah. <laughs> so when we just think about it, when we come to the Lord and we say, forgive me, that was wrong. There's such a sense of release. You can feel that, that blockage in that relationship just going away. You can feel it go away. It's like that connection has been remade. I love it. It's, it's great. So when it comes to fear, I want you to, it's important that we recognize fear is missing the mark. That's what it is. We need to confess it. We need to bring it to the cross. And then we can come to the Lord and allow him to give us his peace. Which culminates in what David's going to say in verse 3. Verse 3 starts off with this. He restores my soul. That is the result of everything we just talked about. He restores my soul. My natural reaction, our natural reaction, mine, yours, is to become upset and anxious. That's what we do. Bring it to Jesus. Bring it to Jesus. And when I bring it to Jesus, that enables me and gives me the courage to walk in the faith that I'm supposed to walk in and trust in God. That's what he's talking about. How many agree our souls need to be restored? Have you, have you ever had your soul feel not restored for a while? Have you ever woke up and just feel like, I don't even want to go outside? It's, we need restored. And I'll tell you what else we need restored is especially during times when we're struggling. When we're struggling with things and we're battling with things, remember this, people. Remember this, levels. The soul is like the seat of your emotions. And the reason I say it that way, I want you to think about this. Oh, and your intellect. So your soul is like, let's look at it as like the seat of your emotions and your intellect. Emotions and intellect. Isn't that the two things that instantly go crazy when things go bad? Your emotions and your intellect. You become agitated when you fear when we get fearful. We get agitated, our emotions go all over the place. We can uh, 
your intellect, like I said earlier, your thoughts instantly go to the bad stuff. Worst case scenario, worst feeling scenario, everything tied in a knot, David says, if you get that, you miss the mark, give it to Jesus, come back to him, all of this is going haywire in your body, even if you lie down in green pastures. It's amazing stuff. David tells us in no certain terms, also, that this is a birthright to children of God. Everything he's talking about to us right now, this is a birthright. He finishes verse 3. He leads me in paths of righteousness for his name's sake. This is a simple way of saying, really, you know, he leads me in the right way. That's what he's saying, simply. Um, by the way, how many know sheep are terrible with directions? They are. I mean, I've actually watched videos of that. They are terrible with directions. If I take a sheep and point him in a cliff and let him walk, he'd just walk right off. And uh, sheep are terrible with directions. That applies to, all right, we're all terrible with directions. But they are prone to wandering. Hmm. Hmm. Say that applies. I think all of us have this, this perplexity to lose our way sometimes. I think we do. And, and we need the instruction from the Lord, right? We do. We need the connection from the Lord. Because if he's not there, we need to be led by God sometimes. I'm just going to come right out. We need to be led by God and not led by me. Often, we need to be led by God and not led by me, right? But the promise here in this psalm is God says, he promises to do that. I want to read you another psalm, 32.8 goes along with this. I will instruct you and teach you in the way that you should go. I will counsel you with my eye upon you. That's an awesome verse, right? It's, it's, he says, I will instruct you and I will lead you. Naturally, as we do, we'll pull that verse out of context completely. We'll take it out. We'll, we'll keep it. We're like, oh, I'm going to read that verse. That's a brilliant verse. God's going to take He's going to lead me and guide me. I can just sit back in my recliner and flip the channels because God's going to show me where to go. And then he's going to guide me if I do something. He's going to keep me out of it. You know, I just hang back and God's got me. Wouldn't that be beautiful? Be like, oh, the Lord's got me. I, no worries, right? I just do what I want. He's got me. If I'm going to walk off a cliff, he'll stop me. He won't let it happen. So we like to assume that that promise is like automatic. That's what, that's what I did. I, it's like, it's automatically. He's going to automatically lead me. No matter what, God's going to lead me. It's automatic. He's going to do it. He said he would do it. However, when you read the next verse, you find out something that's really important. There's a responsibility on my part here to get this. Um, and my, guess what my responsibility is? To accept it. Think about that. You have to accept his leading and guiding. Unfortunately, we're sheep. We're stubborn. We don't accept it. It says, actually, in the next verse, be not like a horse or a mule without understanding, which must be curbed with a bit and bridle, or it will not stay near you. So the Lord says, I will lead and guide you as long as you're not stubborn as a horse. 
I will lead and guide you as long as you accept it. I will lead and guide you as long as you allow me in your life to do this. How many times have we felt the Lord leading us somewhere and we're like, uh-uh, not doing it. Nope. Don't feel like it. I don't think you have my best interest in your mind right now. I'm not doing that. So the dynamic here, on one hand, God promises he's going to lead and guide us. But on the other hand, we are told straight out right here that you need to accept it. Why would we be told straight out? Because we don't like accepting correction or guiding for that matter. If I'm not in control and guiding my own life, you ain't telling me where to go. That's how we look. God's like, stop being a horse. And when he's talking about the bit and bridle, that's to control a horse and force it to do something. And we're like, well, that's what it's saying. He's saying, you know, if I don't get guided, he's going to force me to do it. We're going to talk about that. <laughs> what he's saying really is don't be a horse. There is, with a horse, there's always, think about this. I, I've been around horses. I've raised them. There's always biting, nipping, bucking. You ever been around one of the horses? You ever been bit by a horse? Um, somebody has. Yep. <laughs> they will do anything to get away from you. They will. They will do anything. And it really does not want to stand next to you. The only way I can get it there is I got to put this bit in its mouth and, and a bridle and a saddle and, a, and I got to force it to come stand with me. It's not happy. It don't want to be there. Believe me, if it, if it could bite me, it would. What he's saying here is God's telling you, I don't want our relationship to be based on a bit and bridle. That's what he's saying in that scripture. I don't want our relationship to be based on I have to force you to stand with me. That's what he means. Don't be a horse. Don't make. Don't have a relationship with me where everything is by a bit and bridle. Have a relationship with me where you accept my guiding and my leading. Verse four. I'm like, oh, I don't know if I'll get through it today, guys. <laughs> even though verse four says, even though I walk through the valley of the shadow of death, I will fear no evil, for you are with me. Your rod and the staff they comfort me. How many know that verse? Yeah, we all know that verse. The rod, you know the rod and the staff were tools of the shepherd, right? Okay, I figured we knew that. They use it to direct the course in the life of the sheep. Um, but I want you to notice something very important here in this verse, and a lot of us don't notice it because we love the verse, but we forget the beginning. David, he changes the pronoun in this verse. Remember in the beginning when David was talking about he was talking about his shepherd? What did he say? The Lord is what? My shepherd? Here, he's now talking to his shepherd. He goes from speaking about he to you. Here's what I mean by that. I will fear no evil, for you are with me. Your rod and your staff, they comfort. David speaks here to the shepherd in a declaration of faith. He's telling them, I will fear no evil, for you are with me. Your rod and your staff will comfort me. And to say, even though I will walk through the valley of the shadow of death, and we read that, we're like, I kind of know what that is, I know what that is. Well, let me paint you a picture of what David was talking about. Back then, actually in the Middle East, when the shepherds were taking care of their flocks, there came a time that they would have to move them from pasture to pasture. 
You gotta feed them, right? So they would move them from pasture to pasture. Unfortunately, in that area, when they would travel, sometimes they would have to travel through these big mountainous canyons where there I mean, big mountains on the side. There'd be a little valley in between. It was so, so, the mountains were so high that sunlight actually wouldn't get down into the crevices. And they would move their sheep through there, but inside there would be people hiding to attack the shepherds and kill the sheep and, and raid them and do whatever they could to get them when they were walking. There was very much danger going through those crevices. Yea, though I walk through the valley of the shadow of death. That's what David's referring to. Even though I know I have got to go here and I'm walking through the most devastating, hard, destructive, people are coming after me thing. You were with me. That's the context. There were dangers there. There was cliffs. There was actually raiders who would hide in the mountaintops and wait for the shepherds and stuff to come through. They would wait for caravans and they would, they would just jump out and attack. They would kill them and take everything they got. So it was a very dangerous time. But David speaks to his shepherd and he says, even though I'm in, going to go through that situation right there, when it's dark, and I know that danger is extremely near me, I know something else. You are with me. That's his comfort. You are with me in the midst of it. And David knew that it was his responsibility also to stay close to the shepherd. Think about it. The sheep during that time, when they would go through something like that, they would stay, they would be very close to their shepherd. Because they knew danger was ahead, but they knew their shepherd would protect them. David's letting you know that in times of danger, in times of uncertainty, stay close to your shepherd. Stay close to the shepherd. If you're going through a time in your life that's trying, I mean, that'll easily produce anxious thoughts. Stay close to your shepherd. That's what he's saying to us. Because dangers are real. And I promise you this, the enemy is not going to come along and be like, look, He's had a really bad week, so I think I'll lay back this time. Actually, no, he does the opposite, doesn't he? When the enemy attacks, he's like, kicks us when we're down. You ever had that where it's like it starts snowballing? It's like, boom, 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 never stops. Stay close to your shepherd. That's what he's saying. Don't wander off. Verse 5. You prepare a table for me, and I wanted to get to this verse because this is a really good one. You prepare a table before me in the presence of my enemies. You anoint my head with oil, my cup overflows. This, this again, is one of those de uh, declarations that David makes. That, uh, I mean, when he says, you know, he prepares a table for me, that you and I, I don't think, really understand what he's talking about. Um, in, from the standpoint of hospitality is what I mean. When I say, you know, you prepare, a, when we say I'm preparing a meal for you, that's where, like, oh, I'm cooking some food, right? That's what we think. I'm going to invite him over give him some dinner. Whole different concept in the Middle East. The way they saw it in the Middle East, when you were invited and came under someone's roof, you came under their protection. They would give their life for those who lived under their roof or who were invited under their roof. So when they invited somebody over for a meal in the Middle East, they said, come, I've prepared a table for us. Come eat with us. They were essentially telling you, come under my roof, and when you come under my roof, you are under my protection. So when the Lord's telling him, I've prepared a table for you, he's basically, David's saying, 
the Lord has protected, has called you into his protection. You know what? It remains that way still to this day in the Middle East. Still to this day, even with all that travel and stuff going over there, that still remains. If you're invited into their home to sit down and eat with them, you are considered under their protection. And they would literally fight for you. So when we invite somebody over for dinner, trust me, that's not off. We're not thinking, I'm going to put you in protection, I'm going to fight for you. We're like, I'm going to bring you over, feed you, watch a football game, and say goodbye. You know, we're not like, I, you know what, if somebody comes along, I, I'm sorry, you're on your own. That's not the idea here. The idea here is the Lord's saying, come. I've prepared a table. In other words, come under my protection. I've got you. I'm in here. But notice how he does it. In the presence of your enemies. Put that word your in there. In the presence of your enemies. The point of what David's saying here is that in the presence of his enemies, in other words, in full view of everyone who's after you or wants to destroy you, in full view, the Lord has prepared this place for you. So the Lord's saying here, what David is hinting to is, even when all your enemies are looking at you and their whole thought is, I'm going to destroy you and your life is going to be ruined, the Lord says, come under my protection. Right in front of them, I'm going to protect you. Right in front of your enemies, I'm going to give you rest. Right in front of your enemies, I'm going to comfort you. Right in front of your enemies, I will prosper you. And what happens when and that happens here when he says, he says, you anoint my head with oil. We don't understand this concept either. Because I guarantee that we don't invite our guests over as soon as they go in and like, whoa, hold on. There you go. I just, we don't do that. <laughs> Kelly does. <laughs> but back then, what that was was a sign of being a really good host, actually, is what it was back then. Because remember, when they were coming into somebody's house, they were hot and dirty and sweaty, and, and they needed refreshed. And when they'd come into the home, they would pour the oil over them, and it was considered refreshing to them. So it was like being a good host. But, so, people, it's a hospitality thing. So, but David goes on to say, it's not even just that, it goes further. He says, but you anoint my head with oil, and my cup runneth over. So, I sit down at this table you've prepared for me, in the presence of my enemies, by the way, and you, you, over, you anoint me with blessing, and, my, and it overflows in abundance, of what you've given to me. In other words, Jesus, you have poured all of yourself out into me. That is the most beautiful picture of God's blessing his children I've ever read. It's what he desires to do. It's what he longs to do. We are under his protection. Finally, I'll close on this. Verse 6. Surely goodness and mercy shall follow me all the days of my life, and I shall dwell in the house of the Lord forever. David here is talking about the expectation he has of God's goodness today. That's what he's talking about. The, the expectation from everything he said, 
He expects God's goodness today. He expects it. He lives with expectation knowing, I am going to see God's goodness today. But also, he also expects to see God's goodness later and eternally is what he's talking about. He says, surely goodness and mercy shall follow me. That's really an interesting statement if you think about it. Really an interesting statement. Goodness and mercy shall follow me all the days of my life. As I get older now, and I am getting older. If you will Oh, scary. But as I get older, it's now easier for me to look back on my life and see that God's goodness and mercy was actually following me. It's so much easier. I can look back in my life and see things, and I can be like, yep, it was right there following me. I see it. But when we were younger, we doubted that. We did. You know, when we were younger, we're like, well, I hope God's mercy, you know, I hope his blessing, I hope it's following me. But now older I can look back and I can say, you know what, I see, I know it was following me. No doubt. And that's, and then also David wants us to look beyond this life. Notice that David here, at the end he says forever, forever. He's expressing assurance. Not of only God's goodness and blessing in this life, but he is assured that it's going to be forever. Even in the afterlife. That's, that's what I want. That's what I want. I want that. That's what I want for you. That's what I want you to have. Is that assurance. Confidence for today. Assurance for tomorrow. That's what, David, that's what he's doing right there. He says, I am confident today in God's blessing, and I am assured in God, of God's blessing tomorrow. I'm assured of it. Isn't that what you want? Let's be confident. Let's be confident in God's goodness today, and assured of his faithfulness and his blessing, and abundant provision. Be assured of that today, but also be assured of that tomorrow. Let's pray. Father God, Father, we are so thankful for the, the words that you inspired to be written to us through David in the Psalms, Lord. Lord, there's so much richness and comfort and joy and peace inside the words here. Lord, we ask that today as we went over this psalm that, that it rested on the hearts of those who needed it. And those who have, who have had that relationship that's severed, they don't feel that peace, Lord, that, that they realize that these things that are in the way, just bring them to you, give them to you, lay them down and restore that relationship, Lord, and let that peace flow over them. Father, I know we face many things today, many anxieties, many fears. Many times we face things where we don't even want to go outside. But Lord, you tell us that you are with us even in the darkest times. And that you are with us always and forever. Give us the assurance that your goodness and your mercy follows us every day of our lives. Lord, we ask you bless those who are here today, Lord. And and as they go out in the world today, Lord, we ask that their light shines and that somebody comes in their path who needs Jesus, Lord, and you give them the strength to give them Jesus. We ask all these things in Jesus' name. Amen.
Thank you. 